going on in your world harry get us up to speed what uh, what else is going on for you well if this is a secret i can't tell anyone can i is this called secrets of what now <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right you just... can keep it to yourself it's fine uh, no <laughs> <laughs> no i've just uh, been um been preparing for this tour it's exciting because i haven't toured uh with Phil Collins since uh, 2005, and uh, it's always fun. The music is terrific, and uh, just been preparing for that and um, uh, trying to memorize music. I've been spending the last day and a half in my hotel room looking at music and trying to memorize it and shake the cobwebs out of the memory banks, And uh, but really excited and looking forward to it because... Um, there's nothing more fun to, for me than performing performing really great music live. So that's about right. where I'm at. Is memorizing music a struggle for you? Yeah, because I happen to have uh, you know one of those brains that deletes stuff when you don't need it. You know, <laughs> I, I my partner that plays trumpet, Dan Fernero, he remembers stuff that I wrote. Um, but I don't have that kind of brain. If I don't, I, you know, I forgot who you are when you emailed me because I haven't talked to you in months. <laughs> right. No, I just delete information. It just has, you know, it's not because I'm not interested. It's because I think um, it has to do with the fact that I think I'm ADD mm -hmm. and um, I don't uh, focus on certain things. So no, I now, if you were a beautiful woman, I remember you. <laughs> which I am not. Well, so there you go. <laughs> which, is, which is why you forgot me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another little secret on this podcast. I'm not a beautiful woman. Uh, now the world knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, this podcast is about, you know, peak performance for musicians. And obviously, Harry, you've been there and you've done that. You've done a lot of great things on the trumpet with Phil Collins, other people. But, uh, each interview, I start out with what you'd consider to be a moment when you're not at your best. In fact, you might call it one of your worst moments. It's a time where you just expected to do well, and for whatever reason, things just didn't go as you planned. Can you think of a moment like that? I could think of a moment where where I knew it was going to be bad. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had some dental problems in 1997. And uh, I was touring with Phil Collins, and this particular night, they were going to shoot a video. I kind of knew I wasn't going to perform well, so that it started off with uh, just trying to play as well as I could, trying not to play scared, but I knew I was going to have a lot of problems. And, and it went okay. Uh, there were, I, I ended up, uh, I mean, it's documented on video, it's... Uh, it's one of Phil Collins' performances that went on a video called, I think it was Live and Footloose in Paris or something like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was just cracking notes all over the place. I was having a lot of trouble playing the trumpet because I did some dental work and didn't expect it to affect me that way. 
and I, I had a lot of trouble. Just I, I had to play purely by will mm. and no technique because I had no feel for for the trumpet. I put it up to my chops, and I it felt foreign. Wow, what kind of dental work was it? Well, this is kind of a long story, but when my wisdom teeth came in uh, earlier in my life, the, the top ones came in uh, sideways, pointing forward. And they did some damage to the bone of the molars, my back molars. So I had the wisdom teeth taken out, which was fine. But there was a problem with the back molars that I would get infections all the time mm-hmm. because it was a gap between the tooth and the and the bone. I think some people call them pockets. Mm-hmm. And I was getting infections all the time, either one side or the other, up on the top and make a long story short, I, I, after many years, in 1997, I decided to uh, have them pulled. Mm. And then um, I remember a few days after recovering the having them pulled, tried to play the trumpet. It didn't feel good, but I figured that's just for the time being. And uh, it never felt good. It felt horrible. And I never got a feel for the trumpet. Um, it took about seven years before I figured out what I was doing differently. And before I could, well, it took about two or three years before I could play confidently. And it took about seven years before I could perform well again. Wow. And and it still took a few more years to discover more stuff about my chops. Um, But like I said, it's a long story. So when we did this video, it was like, Right after the teeth were pulled, and I I wasn't even confident about playing up just above the staff, let alone, you know, high G's and F's and stuff like that. So it was sheer will that I got the notes out, and I, you know, if you ever watched that concert, I think you could see on YouTube. There's a lot of crack notes in there, and uh, it's one of those times in your life you got to say, oh. What the F, you know, just you got to do what you got to do. It's amazing how physical things affect uh, your just like I've had dental work done. I'm a trumpet player, too, and um, it affects you and you don't realize how it affects you. But you thought that you were taking care of the problem. But it sounds like you just created more problems by doing Well, I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, it took me a while to realize what I was doing differently. Mm. You know, I, I just thought, you know, I'm not playing well. And I remember this happened uh, around the fall of 97. And then January of 98, I started playing from scratch again. I, you know, got a Schlotzberg book. I got a um, some method book by, uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? Um, Davis used to be a symphony player, Dallas Symphony. He has a great book and Schlossberg type uh, methods. Mm-hmm. And I started from scratch, long tones, this, that, the other thing. And uh, um, that's when I started my checklist thing. If you remember from the last pod, uh, last interview, making a checklist of do's and don'ts, mm. writing down things that felt that I felt well playing when I did them and things that worked against me, you know, a whole list of things. 
And what I realized was that when I play the trumpet, my tongue kind of expands sideways. Hmm. And it kind of kind of leans against my when those molars were taken out my whole tongue position went forward to lean mm. on the next of the teeth oh, okay and yeah we're talking top teeth now because right. uh so my and that was unconscious didn't know it didn't right. detect it didn't figure that out for for a couple of years wow. and then I realized, uh, and, and that only came from that i realized if i if i drew my tongue back while i was playing it, it freed the air. I was because my tongue was so forward; it was shutting off the airstream. It was getting in the way of the air, mm. and that's basically that. And then, of course, that creates a whole chain reaction. Yeah. So, when I discovered that was the problem, I had to relearn where to put my tongue so it didn't get in the way of the air. And then everything started coming back. And, uh, and then I discovered other things as I went along that only improved it. But that was the main thing that was getting in the way and uh, that's why when i talk about this and i think we've talked about it before is you know you have to identify those things that you're doing that are uh, working against you hmm. it's a lot of times if you find that out then everything starts working again and then you should have in mind also i guess it works both ways you figure out what you do in your mouth that it, that helps that helps you and you know when you're having those great nights and you feel very invincible as a trumpet player to check it out where what are you doing how are you holding the trumpet what angle is it in you know how are you breathing you know how far apart are your teeth where's your jaw and then most importantly for me it was where is your tongue and then when you're feeling really bad do that same checklist and you'll probably find there's one or two things that just creating a problem yeah you have to be aware of the fact that your body sort of gets into a habit and when you remove those teeth your t your tongue sort of had this habit of doing a certain thing and it anchored if you want to call it that near your back teeth and then all of a sudden your back teeth are now what used to be the second to last teeth and it created all these problems and it's just a very conscious effort on your part to, uh, and it's to this day, it's still conscious. I right. have to be right. conscious okay. of that. You so know. even twenty years later, you st you still have to make it make that effort. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, yeah. you mentioned being feeling invincible on the trumpet, and I'm sure that in your time with Phil Collins and uh, all these other great places you played, you've had your share of those moments. But I'm wondering, is there a moment that sticks out in your mind that is kind of special and just you just really felt magical and you just felt like nothing can go wrong uh can you take us to a moment like that well you know those things are not like for me they're not predictable i, I only know it after i've done it okay you know it just feels great at the moment mm. and then it continues to feel great at the moment and uh, and it, it, it and everything works out and it's not till the end that you say holy mackerel, I was invincible. <laughs> it, you know, it's not something like, oh, I'm going to be like this all night. It's always, I guess that's the fear of failure. So <laughs> it's just, you know, get through this moment is the most important thing. And I think that's uh, what gets me through through life without crumbling. <laughs> get through this moment and uh, everything will be fine. But yes, I've had, yeah, well, let me tell you what it feels like at the end. All right. 
you know, and I'll give you a Phil Collins example or, or any big tour I've done, you know, usually the last four or five tunes have horns because we don't play on the entire show. We mm-hmm. come and go, we leave stage, come back at the high points where horns are, have an impact. You know, I don't believe in getting on stage and playing a bunch of pads. You know, we get on stage and play some stuff. And usually the last four or five songs is like all horn tunes, like to the wall, just slamming it. And when you finish those four tunes and then come out and take the bows and you get off the stage, it feels like the the way a a champion tennis player feels when he just won a grand slam. And if you've ever watched one of those games, you know, they throw themselves on their floor, on the floor, and get up on their knees in, 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 uh, in, in gratitude. And, and they're so stoked. That's what it feels like when you get off the stage. Exactly like that, except I don't throw myself on the floor. <laughs> and I don't uh, come on my knees. But it just, uh, you know, you come off the stage and me and my guys and, and we're screaming it feels so good. It felt like it was it was wonderful, and that's what it feels like uh, throughout all my touring days, you know, uh, with different various artists, and um, yeah, it, it feels like it's the best feeling in the world. Wow. You know? uh, so you're about to go on this tour with Phil Collins, and you're rehearsing in London this week, and um, what do you do to stay focused with all that travel is it is it a challenge to keep your head in the game when you arrive at a hotel at 3 a.m and you've got a show at whatever time the next morning is it or do you just sort of get into a a, a routine and your body and your mind gets used to it what is it like to be on tour and and make sure that you bring your a-game to the the gig every night well uh, first of all i should say that being on tour with a with a, a top act is like being on vacation with Club Med. <laughs> there is no arriving at three AM stuff. You know? okay. Everything is scheduled for everyone's comfort. The most important thing and uh is to, to realize that you have a very demanding show to stay prepared for. Right. And uh so that means if you have a few days off, you should practice. Um at least do your 45-minute maintenance routine. And the day of um, the show, same thing, that you maybe do a little bit more. And you get to the venue, and just make sure that you're – I don't remember if you remember or if I even mentioned in our last um, our last interview – but make sure that you, that you that you find a good read every day. That your chops are set the way they're supposed to be set. Don't take it for granted. They're gonna feel great, you know. Because my motto is never feel, never play with yesterday's chops. You know, every mm-hmm. day is a new learning experience for the trumpet. It's like you got to learn the trumpet all over again. No matter how good it feels, go through your routine and familiarize yourself with every register of that instrument. And then you'll be set. It could take a half hour. It could take 15 minutes. It could take an hour. Mm-hmm. But just be sure not to take that for granted. And then uh, just uh, stay focused on the gig, you know, especially on show day. You know, a lot of people, the 
they visit friends, non-trumpet players, to have the luxury to... Because <laughs> you meet a lot of people on the road, you know, and they're always going out to lunch with people. They invite them, you know, go motorcycle riding, and they invite them to do this and that, the other thing, and and uh, they could do it, and then just show up in time for sound check. Yeah, and then the trumpet players are playing long tones, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in my room uh, doing my slow maintenance routine, make sure that everything is on point. And uh, that way, when you get to the gig, it feels great, and there's no problem. I think you can't, you cannot neglect the horn. But it, it's not a job like a lot of people think. I mean... Mm. You know, there's there's a huge payoff in doing that because it, it you do you play much better, mm-hmm. and uh, it's also you know it's meditative. I think uh, I won't even tell you how long I've been playing because I can't think uh, I can't add that much. <laughs> I've been playing trumpet for a long time, so it's such a it's such a part of me that I don't think of it as mundane. It, it, it's it's meditative. Mm. You you're putting something to your mouth and then you're creating a sound with your body, you know, and and then you put yourself in a state of mind where you actually know you're creating it in every aspect of it, of how you're creating it, and it's 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 meditative, I would think, and you could go into it really spiritually and sure. get a lot out of it, you yeah. know, but practicing, uh, you know, I just. I, Practicing with a purpose, I think I may have mentioned that. That's what I learned from Claude Gordon. All Everything right. you do on the trumpet, it has to have a purpose. You don't just go through r- routines by rote. You won't get anything out of it. All right. You well, you're not going to get anything out of the hot seat upon which Harry Kim is about to sit, it, it, unless you pay attention. But before we do that, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. Harry, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? Sure. I've been in the hot seat before. All right. It's five minutes before you go on stage for a performance with Phil Collins. What are you going to be doing? I do my uh, I do my little routine that I do every time right before getting on stage. I have a, a little set routine that takes, it usually takes about 10 minutes. So I give myself time to make sure I get that in before I go on stage. And uh, I'm also... Getting my ear monitors ready and my microphone ready and all that sort of thing, but my main focus is getting that last, that last uh, little drill that I do, you know, because most of the practicing I do in the daytime is 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 pretty delicate stuff, and then in order to prepare my body for the shock it's going to go through when we hit the first note, uh, it's it's a little bit different approach. <laughs> so I do that. It takes about ten minutes. All right. What is the best performance-related advice you've ever received? Oh wow! Offhand, I think I think I'd have to say Claude Gordon, you know, because his slogan was "Hit it hard and wish it well," which a lot of people didn't understand, and a lot of people ridiculed it and mar- mocked it as being funny. But the true meaning of that is to trust yourself. You know, you did all the practice already, you did all the preparation. Now you cannot go out there on stage and play in fear. You can't be afraid to play the trumpet. Now you got to trust all the practice to just go out and emote whatever joy and pleasure you have towards the music, emote it through the horn, and just play your heart out. And I think that that makes for success. Play your heart out. A lot of people, the musicians around you, will react to it, and um, and the audience will react to it. You know, um, 
and I think you get the most out of it if you play without fear. All right. Yeah. You know. What do you tell people who deal with stage fright? You know, I think a lot of stage fright comes from I should have or um, I hope it doesn't turn out. You know, they're either in the past or the future. You know, just stay in the now, in the moment, one note at a time. And um, and trust that you, you did all the practicing at home. Just, again, go out there and hit it hard and wish it well. Let your body take over. And, and you know, if you're in the moment, the, I think the idea for being in the moment is to enjoy the moment. And the more enjoyment you get out of it, you know, by being engaged in the music and not so much in how you're going to screw up or how you should have spent more time, you know, uh, just get out there and have fun and be engaged. You know, stage fright comes from, um, I think, fear that you're not, you know, your ego is going to, you're going to look bad if you make a mistake and you've got to realize that. Jeez, you're not going to die if, if you make a mistake. And, and let people say what they will uh, if you make a mistake. You know, it, I think you're more apt to make a mistake when you're nervous right. than when you're free. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing about it is, is, is you got to realize that you are not a trumpet. The trumpet does not define you. You know, you, there's a whole other person there. And this is what I learned from the years that I had my chop problems. You know, the, the, the trumpet doesn't define me. I'm a human being. I have a lot to offer in the world, you know, as a person. I just happen to play the trumpet. And sometimes I play it really well. Sometimes I don't. And, and if, if, um, if you allow that to, to, to affect your everyday mood, forget about it. You know, you're going to be walking around like a, you know, neurotic. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to avoid being an idiot, uh, you know, like some trumpet players become, you know, overly boosted, you know, so they, I, you know, it's like being an athlete, you know, you notice boxers right before the championship, they talk, you know, very boastfully about themselves, they, but I think they got to do it in order to go out there. You can't go out in a ring and think that you might lose. You got to think you're the baddest dude in the world. So and a lot of a lot of trumpet players happen to feel that way. <laughs> and, but you know, in order to stay level headed, you gotta see in the big picture what it is you have to offer in life. And it's not always about the trumpet, you know. So uh, failure is okay. You you know, I and I will say this, I think that you'll probably perform a lot better if you make it okay to fail. You right. have to say to yourself. It's okay to make a mistake. You'll perform a lot better. You know, and free yourself of that. It's it's a horrible thing to play in fear. All right. It's a horrible to live in fear. Uh, this is the last question of the interview, but it is a doozy. It's the end of the performance. The audience is on its feet, giving you a standing ovation. They don't want any more. They don't want anything less. Everything is perfect. What have you just done? And give us details, who you played with, what you played, uh, where you played, specific scenario here. Uh, specific, well, okay, I, I guess I'll stay in the moment here. I'm here with Phil Collins. I could tell you, um, we, oh gosh, any specific performance? Because they're all, they all end up the same. People are all on their feet. They're ecstatic when we're finishing our performance. Um, 
let's just pick a venue, a Royal Albert Hall or something like that, you know, where you have a lot of people who are, you know, high class people. And by the end of the show, they're just up and dancing in their seats and, and acting like regular people, you know. So what do I think I did particularly? I played my heart out. I enjoyed myself. I, uh, I think I expressed my gratitude for having the opportunity to do this. You know, I don't think that, um, I don't think it's a good thing to, to perform as a showcase to yourself. Like, dig me. Ain't I great? I think, uh, well, anyway, what I do is I play the trumpet. Uh, the trumpet becomes a vehicle to express how, how how happy I am and how how much joy this is, and and that only comes with being really engaged with every other musician around you, and and the music that you're playing. You can't uh, separate yourself from the musician for the music. I think like uh, a lot of musicians, big band players might look down on playing rock and roll or or hip hop or something like that, and they they miss most of the fun. I think that uh, if you totally engage yourself with the music, people will relate to it and you will touch a lot of hearts, especially if it's sincere engagement and uh, an expression of fun. And and that's what I think I just did. I think a lot of people look out there and look at they are they have taken a notice about how much fun everybody on stage is having. And uh, boy, that makes for a great performance. I think. It's, it's a visual art, you know. It's uh, not just a listening art. It's a visual art. So, um, yeah, I think that's what I did. And I played my heart out. I didn't play in fear. There we go. Harry Kim is my guest. You can find him on the web at harrykimtrumpet.com. And you heard him allude to several times previous interviews with Harry and myself. That was on the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. And you can actually find those two episodes on the show notes here uh, for this episode at musicalmindmastery.com slash 25, because this is episode 25. Harry, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for sharing your journey with us, and for bringing us one step closer to understanding the secrets of the musical mind. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on Trumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon.